I'd like us to turn, if we could please, to uh, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. And in that sense, I want us to try and grasp the real supernatural, ethereal, transient uh, blessing in wonder and mystery of word, word, W-O-R-D. Turn to somebody and say word. word. You know, word, words are important, aren't they? We would all do well to learn at some point in our life, hopefully sooner than later, that our words matter. We can hurt people with words. Words can hurt us. How many of you in your lifetime can remember something or somebody? And typically it's somebody that has influence over you, right? It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a teacher. Somebody who has a guardian of your heart. Somebody at some point that has an influence in your spirit and possibly something was said that wounded you in the spirit that to this day maybe still haunts your mind a little bit and and it was detrimental to you how many of you yeah i think almost everybody we've all been wounded right i mean um I can think back many, and I don't want this to be about me, but maybe you can relate to a few of them. I had a couple instances in my life where adults uh, told me that I would amount to nothing. I had one adult told me I'd probably end up in prison the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I had an algebra teacher, a nun, tell me I was stupid and I could never learn and to sit down. I could remember that. I had a man of God announce to a local church here that I was washed up and God would never use me again. Um, How many of you are relating? You know, you're relating, right? Um, I had somebody, and I take great joy in music, publicly tell me that I wasn't talented and couldn't play. You see, we get attacked and wounded in very vulnerable places, don't we? And, 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 they, and those wounds stay with us until the Lord heals us. But even so, let's not be super, super spiritual, right? I mean, this isn't a house where we want the spirit to condemn us. This is a house where we want to be truthful because he's a spirit of truth. And this is a house where we want to not only confront those things that have been put upon us and, and, and maybe challenge us to this day, but sometimes we come together and as we get real with one another, then we can let all of the facades down. You know, as I grew in the Lord, and you too, you can relate to this. I, I remember when I first came to the awareness of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right? And that was after I came to the awareness of the Father. I, I, my first re- experience was with the Father and the real living Father, not just the Father that I learned about in the temple or in Ursuline Catholic School before that. I had a lot of religion and a lot of philosophy. I'm a philosophy with a dual major in political science. I had all that stuff, those isms and things. And... Um, and then, of course, I pursued a lot of other stuff. And I, I recall that, you know, in that pursuit of truth, finally getting to the pursuit of truth, that it's easily to get wounded, isn't it? I mean, because so many people have their own calibration of what truth is. And in that instance, if they're not really quite spot on, they can wound people, mislead people, and cause us to sort of crawl into a corner and say, boy, I'm really weird, and I I can't, I'm not confident enough to go with this. Have you ever been there? 
Have you been that in your walk in Christ when you've been coming out? You know, especially, you know, we come out two ways in Christ, right? One, we come out really stupid and we think we know it all all at once and we pursue everybody and beat them with Jesus, right? The other way is we come out a little feebled and a little insecure and we're trying to figure things out and so we assume we don't know much so I better be quiet and just see what it is or I have to find my way into it, right? Have you, have you been in one or two of those ways? Yes, of course. And I've made a fool of myself thinking I knew a whole lot early on and I've cowered in a room for a long time trying to find the ways of God before I was confident to come back out. A long time. So I've seen both extremes in my life. And, and I sort of relate to Ecclesiastes. You know, I've seen all things under the sun. I haven't seen all things under the sun, but I've been a lot of things under the sun, and so have you in our walks, right? We know what it feels like to, to be really emboldened in the Lord. Those are wonderful days. How many of you can say, those are some of my best days when the Lord just emboldens me. I have victory. I see something clear. I have this, this thing that bursts in my mind and all of a sudden I, I have a knowledge and an understanding that helps things to get in line. I feel strong. I feel like I can go up against any problem. I can handle any spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you had those days? We love those days. We love those days, but how many of you have said, almost in a spiritual fetal position, I, I, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a bit, I, I just feel like somebody else is intimidating me because they're so spiritual. They're, they're so, they got it together. They, they know exactly the scripture to throw out at the exact right time and, and they don't seem to ever have to fight the things I have to fight. How many of you? Yeah. And, and so spiritually, we call that being in the deep valley and on the other end, we call it on being on the peak of the mountain. But truly, our life is somewhere in between all the time, isn't it? And we're trying to stay on a slippery slope and not slide down. And we're trying to be able to spiritually mountain climb, to hold on through the storm and to find our way out. That's really what life is, isn't it? I would love to tell you that I just live on the peak. <laughs> I don't. And if you tell me you do, I really want to believe you, but you're going to have to convince me. And I've come across many people who have surprised me. I, I get this inference in my mind, and, and I see them as somebody super spiritual. They can never have a bad day. They can never doubt. They can never question. They're, they're too strong. And, and maybe I've come across a few who really, really do live that way. I don't know. Gwen Shaw was a spiritual mom to me. She's passed on some years back. And Gwen, I think, wrote 100 books. I don't know. She, she just spit out a book left and right. She was the founder of the End Time Handmaidens. And I was an honorary End Time Handmaiden for life. And Gwen Shaw seemed to never have a bad day. She could write about things and tell us how she, she worked through things and came through them, but she never seemed to have a bad day. But one time when we got real with each other and I, I said, Mom, Gwen, this one's too tough for me. I remember her just putting her hands on my face and saying, Frank, welcome. Welcome to the kingdom. Those words pierced me. You see, we're taught a gospel that when we really embrace it, it's all built upon brokenness. 
Jesus was totally broken, physically, spiritually, emotionally. He cried out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that's the bottom pit, isn't it? Of course, you've never cried out to God. Maybe not those words, but maybe you've been in a spiritual fetal position where you said, Lord, what's going on? Isn't it something that once you come to the Lord and you drink of the cup of his grace and his love and his mercy, and we all, all hopefully have done that, And to me, that's my favorite portion of the kingdom meal. It's the cup of his grace and mercy. Because it's so precious. It's so necessary. So nourishing. And in that time, you, me, we might be at our lowest moment or a very low moment. But it's at that time when we really come to love and appreciate who we are in Him. Because as low as He goes, He goes high. As low as you go, He takes you higher. Sometimes the steps aren't fast, are they? I can remember some early days of my walk when I don't think there was a person alive who could understand me. I couldn't understand myself what I was learning and going through. I was very, very strange and weird, and I think I still am. I don't know. The difference is I don't care now. And so many people would try to instruct me. Instruction was good. It was the correction that I had a problem with. Because you see, when we instruct people in the things of God with grace and according to Scripture and in the anointing of the Lord, that's edifying, that's good stuff. Of course, we have to be wise and use the right words, right? I mean, you might be looking at somebody and say, you are absolutely out of it, man. You don't have a clue what's going on. You don't tell them that and then expect that you're gonna be able to connect with them. We relate. But we understand as we're supposed to be growing that this is a good thing in our growth pattern. It's a good thing to have the things that we need to work on to be exposed and nobody ever fully arrives and if you don't grasp that, Just do a study on the Pauline epistles. A lot of his epistles are his own confession of himself. Paul constantly was putting himself to the test. He was constantly putting himself on the altar of the fire. And what he found when he was honest is that his flesh was foul and his faith was weak. Now, we don't know exactly physically what he looked like, but from what I've heard and read and tried to gleam, he was a really short little Jewish guy. He didn't have a real speaker's voice. He was a little bent up and crooked in his figure. He was of a small stature. And one person even said his voice was more like this than it was like this. He didn't really have a booming speaking voice, whereas some others say Peter did. Peter had a manly voice. He could command. And quite possibly, Apostle Paul had a little bit of a whiner's voice. But in that instance, what I appreciate the most about the Pauline epistles and really, really taking time to delve deep into who he is and who he was, 
was that he was honest about himself. And he was always striving. He said, I'm, I'm striving for perfection. I know I'm not going to get there, but I'm going to keep on striving. And a lot of that was having to, first of all, deal with his own inadequacies. We're sort of taught something wrong in the science of psychology, especially in child rearing. You see, we're taught that we need to edify everything. Somebody, you know, a child throws their spaghetti on the floor. Oh, that's so creative, you're an artist. Yeah. Or they turn around and punch you in the nose. Oh, okay, I understand it. Oh, that hurt, but that's okay. You know, you gotta express yourself. Or they take a crayon and scribble all over your new curtains. Oh, it's your artistic expression. We sort of think that we need to edify a lot of stuff. And it goes on into teen, young adult, adult, marriage. And all of a sudden, we have a whole bunch of wild people in a wild race. It's the same thing spiritually, isn't it? Hmm? A lot of people, they hop from here to here, here to here. People love the Lord, but they hop around all over the place. What do I get here? What do I get over here? What, what's tickling my fancy here? Ooh, that was good to, ah, I, oh. And then we realize spiritually, there's no perfect person and no perfect place. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's the place of grace. I can almost relate to Solomon and Ecclesiastes. You know, I, I call that his Hail Mary <laughs> writing, right? He, he just about, he tried everything. I mean, the guy was an animal in some, he was a sexual animal, right? You don't know that? How many wives and concubines did he have? How many? That's a sexual animal. Something wrong with that guy. I mean, let's just call it like it is. And, and he asked for something and he got it. He got wisdom, but he didn't have enough wisdom to walk his own life the correct way. He had to find it at the end and only the grace of God knows how that story ends. I pray it's a good one. He sought to know all things under the sun, but he never sought to know himself. He sought to understand wisdom and gain a lot of knowledge, but he didn't get the wisdom of a relationship with God until the end. And he didn't have the blood of Jesus revealed to him to understand that he could cover the multitude of sins. I don't know how he passed. Doesn't really tell us a lot. But I think maybe with a whole bunch of bewilderment and questions, huh? So we come through all of that. We find our way through that myriad swamp of dilemma. We have so many contradictions in our lives. They start early on as a child, right? I mean, in my generation, and, and you know, I'm not declaring, I'm never gonna be old, I'm just telling you all that. <laughs> that ain't happening. Those words will never come out of my mouth. I'm never gonna be sick, you'll never hear those words out of my mouth. I might dust and die and wamp away, but I'm not gonna confess illness. And I pray to the good Lord, I'm never going to confess being stupid. <laughs> now you can call me all you want, but I'm not going to confess, right, my brother Dave? I'm not going to ever confess to being stupid. I'm always going to confess to having the mind of Christ. But, but as we begin to assess who we are and the place we're in and what we're all about, 
we really begin to appreciate the free gifts of God. You can't find them intellectually. You could spend all your life as a theologian. You could go to every Bible college. You could be instructed by the best there are. You can't find them unless you go inside your heart and find his heart. It's a heart-to-heart talk. Oh, Lord knows I tried. (laughs) I tried the skills that I had when I first began to realize there was a living God. I bought so many books. (laughs) Uh, I used to be a drug dealer, right? Yeah. And I used to just boldly have stuff transported from one coast to the other and didn't care. And I was just, you know, it wasn't heroin. It was marijuana and all the little goodies that came with it. I'm not, I'm not glorifying it. I'm being honest. And the Lord protected me, and I didn't know he did. And I just came to the realization that God was good, and, and I used one of those same suitcases that, had been especially made to transport stuff to get rid of scents from dogs and things, and I filled it up with books. Because you see, the only way I knew to go find about God was, was the way that I've been trained, get a bunch of books. And I spent the little money I had left on, a, I had a whole suitcase full of books. That suitcase had to weigh 100 pounds, it was overweight. And I, all I did was go down to Dayton with it full of books, full of books. Got off the airplane and two DEA agents were waiting for me. They'd been trailing me for six months. They thought they had me. The dogs were sniffing, they were looking at the bag, they went and I'm smiling, they're thinking, this guy gotta be crazy, he doesn't even care. We go into the back room and they said, we can get a warrant to open this or you can give us permission. I said, oh, don't break the locks here. Let's open it up. And they opened it up and they saw all the books. <laughs> and they began to open the books. They thought stuff was inside the books. One of them bit on the cover. He thought I'd done something with the cover. They had a dog sniffing around and he just kept sneezing because of all the powder that had been in there from before. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, you think you're funny, don't you? I said, oh, no, sir. I've seen the light. He didn't get it. He didn't get it, but I got the message long and strong. It was then that I learned the power of the living God. He saved me. He kept me. He got me through. And all those books, I was reading all those books, all of a sudden they weren't as meaningful to me. I wanted something fresh, his grace. I wanted his love. I wanted to be a son. A son. Changed my whole outlook on pursuing God. My whole outlook changed. How many of you come to a place in your life when you're able to look back and say, he kept me in spite of myself? Hmm? In spite of myself. And isn't it a a, a tragedy when you relate to some other people you knew when you went through some stuff in your life who didn't make it? Makes your heart heavy people that you associated with, you ran with, could be even family members. They didn't didn't make it. They didn't get the grace that you got, that I got. Oh, I love grace. I love grace. You know, I came from a ministry, very powerful ministry, very large ministry. I was the number two guy of a very, very big church tens of thousands of people all over the world. I was the English-speaking guy in the Spanish ministry. And I, I came to the place to really appreciate knowledge, 
that ministry, it was as if those who pursued grace were somehow the antithesis of what would be called superiority or otherwise supernatural. You couldn't have both in that place. And it sort of tugged on me because you see, I know, and I think you do too, how precious it is to be saved by grace. I know I was one wretched, wrung out, useless human being. Oh, I didn't think I was. By the world standards, I was successful. I was driving a 450 SL when I was 19 years old. In fact, I had another Mercedes, a four-door. I had a house paid for. I had cash, lots of cash, multiple businesses. I could go in and out of City Hall because I was considered there to be a, uh, a steward. It was only when I came to the realization that all of that was for nothing and, and evaporated in a day. One day, what the world didn't take, I gave away. The Lord wiped the slate clean, began to rebuild. Beloved, I relate. I relate to that scripture. My grace is sufficient for you. I relate to that. I cherish that. I need that. I need it every day of my life. If we're honest with each other, let's just be honest, come on. You could go all over the place and get your whistle wetted, get stroked. We're very good about that as Christian preachers. See, people would rather be updressed than downdressed. So if you learn the skill, you updress and you do very little downdressing. But you know something, in the updressing we sort of lose our way. It's in the downdressing that we find our way. I'll tell you one thing. As I was reading scripture and hold up alone in a home on Selma Avenue for one year, <laughs> barely knowing anybody or seeing anybody, trying to find my way. Over and over and over again, the Spirit of God would speak to me and say, my grace is sufficient for you. And I'd say, no, what? I, can't, I can't put my arms around it. I can't tangibly hold on to it. I'm lonely. I'm poor. I'm spiritually poured out. I'm seeing things other people don't see. I'm hearing things other people don't hear. And in that moment, it's not very consoling. Let's let, let's let the feet hit the ground and the rubber hit the road. It's not very consoling when you're reaching out for something tangible and the living God over and over tells you, my grace is sufficient for you. You say, yeah, but... <laughs> Until you learn that it is his grace that sustains us. No matter what we believe and walk in our Christianity, let's face it, we always revert back to works, don't we? Come on, don't get over-spiritualized with me. It's always works. What you did or what you didn't do. How well you did it or how well you didn't do it. What you know, what you don't know. Huh? Come on. How you're received and how you're not received. Because we're human beings. You see, 
The one thing that I appreciated the most about that uncomely super apostle named Paul, he knew he was uncomely. He wasn't good to look at. If you read the, the writings about him, he was a disfigured little guy. I could probably just imagine him, you know, with little legs, big nose, crooked, balding hair, little arms, and voice like this. He was not comely to look at. He wasn't a great orator with a voice that could boom like Jesus on the Mount of Beatitudes or Billy Graham on a crusade of a half a million people. He was just a little scrawny Jewish guy. And if we really analyze him and his works, he got it that he was allowed to decrease so Christ could increase. And he got it that the more vulnerable he became, the greater God became in him. He got it that it didn't matter how he looked. It mattered who he worshiped. This little uncomely Jewish guy outside of the four gospels gave us the meat of what we call our New Testament. Think about it. You see, I, I take, <laughs> I take great solace in that. I take great solace in knowing that it's not because of anything else except the anointing and blessing and favor of God, huh? That you and I, we can be bright lights in the kingdom. It doesn't matter how many books we fill up with what we did. Doesn't matter. What matters, and this is all that matters, and this is the beauty of our faith, our faith that was bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, by the broken heart of the Father God himself. Oh, I don't think a father's ever had a more broken heart than he had. And by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as this. We, we have inheritance and everything and all the blessings of God in the kingdom through Jesus Christ. We have it all. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. The body of Christ would do well, the super, super faith people of the body of Christ would do well to, to go back to the rudiments and the basics that we can't earn it. In fact, when we try, we don't do it justice. And the beauty of our faith is that he must, he will, he has pleasure in giving us beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. Have you considered what a blessing it is to have your faith tried through the fire. <laughs> oh, you gotta be a fool if you tell me it felt good while you were going through it. I wouldn't believe you. But I'll tell you one thing, this I can attest to, not once, not twice, but multiple times. Through that fire, there's beauty for ashes. And if you don't go through the fire, you don't come to the beauty. Now saying, Pastor, I think I'm going to get up and run out of this church. Are you prophesying fire on me? No. I'm helping you to put the pieces of the puzzle in place. What good is it to have some fragile pieces in our life if we want to ignore the beauty of them? 
What good is it to believe that God made a mistake and that some of the experiences we've had that, that we wish we didn't have to have, didn't have benefit? What, what good are those things? Do we want to believe in a God and a life that is helter-skelter? Hmm. Do you want to believe in a God of life where the pieces to the puzzle never fit together and there's always a piece missing that you can't grasp and hold on to? I think one of the beauties of just clicking off some years, no matter what your age is, is that as we put each one of those years and hold it to the test of our faith, scripture, and a real relationship with God, don't do one without the other two. Oh, you can have faith, but if your faith is built upon something that's superhuman and, and isn't tried and, 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 and ignores the humanity of who you are, that faith is going to fail you. It's not just supernatural. It's, it just doesn't fit. The shoe won't wear. And if it's experiential, then we must move on from what? That glory of that experience onto the next glory of the next experience. Also willing to let go of that glory to go on to the next one and to let go of that one and to go on to the next one and to use those things as building blocks but not diving boards. Beloved, the world hasn't seen what the world's about to see. I'm not interested in milk toast Christianity. If that's all that someone could handle, then God bless them. Get that, it's better than nothing. But beloved, God needs giants today. Because it's time for us to fight giants. Spiritual places, wicked things. Conjectures of the enemy that have been saved from the beginning of the time pouring out on this earth today. We are a hairline fracture away from all kind of upheaval. Worse than what we see right now. And the only thing that's going to allow us to persist and pursue is to have a faith that's ground in honesty, in truth, and fellowship. I need you. You may say, Pastor, I don't need you. Well, that's okay. I need you. I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. I need to walk with you. I need to know that we're walking together in a time of darkness that's going to grow over the whole earth because that's where we're at. And if all we want is nice messages that tickle our ears, they'll tickle us right in and off the precipice of the cliff with no safety net. One thing about my walk, I don't know about yours, you judge for yourself. I didn't come in grace and love and peace and a bunch of people kissing on my neck. I came in all-out warfare for my very life, my soul, my mind, my family. I don't know if you had to give up family, make a choice between the Lord and that give up a child I don't know if you walked away from a business you built and all your money and whatever you had I don't know but I do know I was hanging on by my fingernails and I so much appreciate the grace of God you'll never hear me downplay and down preach the grace of God I'm not ashamed to tell you, every day I thank him for his grace. I'm not ashamed to tell you, every day I ask him for more grace. Beloved, we live in a very precarious time. There's been no time like it before this. You didn't choose where, when, and how you were going to be born, but guess what? You're here. You're born, I think. 
You can be born again if you're not. You're in a very, very precarious world right now. And those safety nets that some of us grew up with, you know, the best country in the world, which is on a teetering tot. The biggest church and, and the most enriched church in the world. When I say church, I'm talking about this Western church. Maybe, maybe not. The greatest preachers in the world. Maybe, maybe not. One thing's consistent. Holy Scripture. Holy Spirit. Holy Father. Holy Jesus. We need to get back to basics. We need to hold on with claw hands, scratching and like on a precipice that's a slippery slope and to drive our fingernails deep into the mountain of our faith and our spirit and say, Lord, don't let me be moved. Don't let me be deceived. Don't let me chase false. We think our faith's been tested. Now you see, some of you may get up and run out and those watching on the air, you can just turn me off. Your faith has not been tested like it's gonna be tested. You want me to tell you truth or you want me to tell you to just polish your ears? I'll preach to one, I'll preach to 10,000. It took a long time and a lot of bloody noses spiritually for me to get to the point where I really don't care. I love you and I miss you when you're not here and those who go and come, it's, I have to fight it off like every humanity about what it is, but the bottom line is, I'm not here to please anybody. If I try, I'll fail. And I believe you're getting raised the same way. The same way. This may, I don't think it'll surprise you, but it might entertain you. Sometimes in my own time in prayer and as I'm assessing things and uh, filtering myself, who I am and where I'm at and what am I doing and what is to come because I have a pretty good sense of of my destiny and so I sort of hang out and wait for those hours and minutes and days to see what's happening but not with an anxiousness anymore I used to be I sort of just rest in it but as I perceive and, and look at that stuff we can step back and get a very good view of what's going on for the kingdom here on earth. One thing I know, thank God for his grace, <laughs> because if not, no man, no woman would be imperishable. And we see time just funneling in and funneling in and funneling in and whereas many teach and preach about some great evangelism all over the world and there's going to be hundreds of millions of people coming to the Lord as the Lord returns, I'm not convinced of that. I would love it. I would love to see some gigantic spiritual blast of wind blow into the people living today and the body of Christ just expand to the point that it's ready to blow off the earth. But what I'm seeing is a compression. Yes, there's more being drawn in, but it's a compression within the kingdom and it has something to do with the hot, lukewarm and cold. And I'm seeing as that compression comes that some who are hot become more lukewarm as they get a little less concerned 
about the things of the kingdom. And I see the ones who are cold, cold. And I see the ones who are hot, almost on an island, trying to figure out, what should I do? How do I do it? When do I do it? Where do I do it? My prayer, my hope, first for me and mine is we burn hot. I want to 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 be on fire. I want to be like a blazing asteroid going through the earth and the heavens with nothing but a fiery trail behind me. It may not be what I do. It may not be what I say, but I do pray it is who I am. And that's what I pray for you, and I pray you pray the same thing. It's not what you do, it's who you are. Some of us, our moment may not be as big as other people's moments, but that moment can make a difference in a bloodline and in eternity. And there's a compression going on, isn't there? There's a compression, it's two compressions. One compression is the power and spirit of God which is roughing off all of the edges. It's like being put in a furnace to be purified in our faith. And the other compression is like the walls coming in on the humanity of God and upon faith. There's two compressions. I sort of laugh inside of me when I see people try to avoid the fire because all they're doing is stepping from one to another one. They just don't understand it. So beloved, I have good news for you. The good news is that if you've bothered to even listen to me for a little while, I believe the favor of God is upon you. And with that favor, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Used to have a prayer, I said, with my teams. When they were young, when they were old. Some of them never even had gone to church, some of them didn't, some of them didn't even speak the same language. Used to go real quick, didn't even know it was a prayer. I can't do all things, but I can do something. And that thing I can do, I ought to do, and by the grace of God, I shall do it. It was something when they were little kids, and it was something when they were young men with beards going out to the playing field. One of those guys reached back out to me not too long ago. He went through a bad time. Divorce, children, career over. Hmm. I'd been his coach. He didn't call me pastor. He said, coach, He said, remember what you used to say with us all the time? I said, tell me, son. He said, we put our hands together and you'd say, I can't do all things, but I can do something. And that thing I can do, I ought to do. And by the grace of God, I shall do it. Was that a prayer? I don't know. But I do know it impacted that man's life. And though he strayed and went his way and he made it into the major leagues, found himself on the outside looking in with a wife and child that he was abandoned from. Came from a tough life himself. I thought to myself, does the body of Christ get that message? I can't do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I need you to do some things. You need, maybe you do or don't need me, but I need you to do some things. That's called the body of Christ. And, and I take great peace. And each day that clicks by, I become a little bit more appreciative of you and you and you. Sometimes in the late hours, and I'm a, light sleeper who gets up a lot. I see your faces. You, you, 
and I get strength. Knowing you can do things I can't do, but together we are one. Father, I pray that we be one. You and me, we and them, and the glory that you've given me, give to us. Give to us that we might be one in you. In Jesus' name. Hmm. wonders of Almighty God. Hmm. Oh, the blessing of brokenness. I've lived long enough to understand when the Spirit of God moves upon me for brokenness. I used to whimper and be afraid. I used to say, oh, oh, how hard is this going to come down on me? What's going to happen? So when that spirit began to come upon me yesterday, it was like, oh boy. Okay, Lord. But you see, that is our fellowship with Jesus Christ, isn't it? He became broken for our victory. And it's by his brokenness that we become strengthened in him. When I am weak, he is strong. Something about having to be weak to get strong. Huh? Blessed be the name of the Lord, in Jesus' name.